0: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart
1: Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now. Here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. Yeah, welcome to the Out of Left Field Show. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield presented by Farm Bureau. Charlie, the off week has come and gone, and now we get ready for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And tell you what, we didn't have our Sunday coffee this past week. Haven't seen you in a
0: while. Did you have a good weekend, good open weekend? I did. I wouldn't mind another open weekend right now or at least a better opponent on the weekend that we return. I'd like to fast forward to Vanderbilt, but here we are.
1: I I would feel better if you were coming off a break and you were playing Vanderbilt. That's the whole key. And, hey, I mean, Vanderbilt with Derek Mason, their defense is always good. What they play Ole Miss this weekend, if a team plays Ole Miss, they have scored the most points they have all year long. But for Vanderbilt to reach that number, it would be 13. So the offense hasn't (laughs) been prevalent in Nashville so far this year. We're presented by Farm Bureau. Go with a home team, Farm Bureau. They have locations in every county in the state of Mississippi, and it's where Charlie and I go for our insurance needs. And, man, they are awesome with their service. And so check them out, favorites.com. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Charlie, let's hit this head on. One of the things we've talked about, and I had some meetings yesterday, one of the first things that someone wanted to talk about was, man, why are all these guys leaving the program? If you look at the last couple of days, what have we had, eight guys this week leave the program? Man, the sky is falling, Charlie. I don't know if we're going to be able to sit under this ceiling fan much longer.
0: (laughs) You know, it's always interesting when people leave. Everybody wants to assume whatever they already believe to be true. So if you're a national media, (laughs) put in open quotes, writer, or I certainly don't want to call him a journalist, but a lot of these blue checkmark guys. Barrett Salee must interview extremely well. Yeah. Boy. Or are they, are people who
1: just run away from the sports industry. I think that's a lot of it. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, it's a situation where it's there's nobody else to do it.
0: Yeah. Talent is no longer the greatest indicator of a blue checkmark, at least, in terms of the Twitter world. but. You go back and you look. So if you don't like Mike Leach, do you have a blue check mark? I do not. I don't either. How do you get that? Because well, some of these guys have it, and I don't understand how you
1: get it. But to be honest with you, I, I mean, I really don't care if I have one or not.
0: Does Matt Wyatt have one? I don't think so. Well, as long as Crowder doesn't get one, we'll be okay. But let's go back to the the, the issue. So that is this: if you don't like Mike Leach, or you live in this world where you just like to make snarky comments. People leaving the program feeds what you already thought, and you can say, hey, Mike Leach has a bad program. Recruits aren't going to want to go there. This is terrible. If, on the other hand, you think Mississippi State has not played up to its performance the past couple of years and that there hasn't been a great amount of discipline in the locker room, if you think that, not only would you be right, but you would also be reinforced in your view by saying that Mike Leach is doing the right thing because now you can say, hey, he's getting rid of the program, and you know what? It's time we got things cleaned up and got it the way we want to be. The challenge is this, and Bart, you know this better than anybody. Everybody who leaves has an individual story. Some are because they don't like the rules. Some are because they want to go. Some didn't necessarily want to leave. Some want to play.
1: Some want to play. And here's the thing about it. why leave now and in today's world it's it's a me world it It is a me world. It's a me world in everything that we do today, okay in years past, hey let's play it out let's let's finish the season. It's kind of like you know if 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 you get on a travel baseball team with a bunch of folks you don't like all right. My thought process is you finish the season and then you look for somewhere else to go next year. I've heard so many parents talk about, oh, no, I don't like really, I don't like the coach and I don't like the other parents. Well, just play it out. But in today's world, it's not like that all the time. So, what about those guys? Those guys can get out, they can put their name in the portal. It's not a wash for this year, the way the transfer and rules have changed a little bit, and the way this year really doesn't even count. And now those guys can hit the portal and have four, five, six weeks to have some options instead of throwing things together at the very end. I understand it. But, hey, at the end of the day, isn't this a byproduct of just not having the spring? Oh, yeah. And then the question becomes, well, why is everybody else not having these issues? Well, to to be honest with you, that's the thing about Mike Leach. He's an old-school coach. I think right now, and, and I know I'm probably overthinking this, I think a lot of the panic button with a lot of people has to do with what happened 16 years ago in this program. And we all have short-term memories, and a lot of people that are our age, they remember what happened in 2004 when Jackie Sherrill left and Sylvester Croom came in and we had the quote-unquote cleanup of the program. We had a lot of guys leave at that time. And I think it's unfair to Mike Leach from a standpoint of two things. One is I'm coming in and cleaning up the program. And the other thing is, too, I'm trying to fit a square peg in a round hole right now. And and it was very similar. I don't want to compare Mike Leach to Sylvester Croom. But if you're a radical, if you're someone who thinks the sky is falling, sometimes you could draw those parallels.
0: But it is a completely different situation. Yeah, for one, one of them has a proven history as a head football coach. The other one did not. And so with Sylvester Kroom, he didn't have the background of doing this to say, I see what's going to happen. You hoped it might follow the path. It worked for some other people. But Mike Leach has done this where he's been before. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, because I, I don't think the significance of this should be overlooked. We didn't have a normal spring. We hadn't had a normal year. And if we had, a lot of these things would have trickled out. Some of the problems might have been saved if we had, because I'll tell you this, there is nothing more powerful in a locker room than an empty locker. You go, oh, you yeah. go look next door, and that guy who's been with you in there anymore, and his stuff's cleaned out and gone. And sometimes it only takes one or two. But I don't care how fiery your coach is, because ultimately every coach is going to be put to a test. You're going to come in, and you're going to say, I have expectations. I have rules. You are going to do and you are not going to do these things. And then when somebody doesn't do that, 80-something other guys are looking at that coach saying, all right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You drew the line in the sand, and this guy crossed it. And if you don't back up your word, you are done forever with that team.
1: At the end of the day, I'm not panicking. Are you panicking? I mean, guys that have been around, we've been around this for a long time. No, I'm not at all. I feel I feel good about the future. I really do. I feel good about the future. Oh, this offense is not gonna work. It's gonna work. It's gonna be okay. So just climb down from the ledge. Sometimes you gotta be a little bit more patient. Sometimes you gotta let that stock grow a little bit, but we're gonna be okay.
0: Well and sometimes you gotta blow it up to rebuild. Yep. And I am not one bit concerned.
1: That's what I do in the gym every day. I blow it up <laughs> to build it back up. <laughs>
0: You're still in the blow-up phase, uh, right?
1: No doubt. Hey, good show today. After the break, we're going to talk with Tyrone Keys. We talk about blowing things up. I mean, he blew up the play with Don Jacobs at the goal line in 1980. It's been 40 years now, the 40th anniversary, the coming up this Sunday of that big 6-3 win, Mississippi State over Alabama down in Jackson. Tyrone Keys spent time in the NFL. Here's what's crazy. Played on probably what may have been the best defense in Mississippi State history. Played on what may have been the best defense defense in NFL history as well with the 1985 Bears he'll join us then Brandon Woodruff fresh off a season with the Milwaukee Brewers he's been great up in Milwaukee he's a he is a no-doubter number one guy in Major League Baseball throws 100 miles an hour from Wheeler Mississippi he's going to join us as well and then Charlie and I'll get you ready for Mississippi State and Alabama later in the show you're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, right there on Highway 49 in Florence. They've got the original jalapeno cheddar. I went down there, I took Jen down there this past weekend, and uh, went in the storefront where they have the butcher shop. Got some stuffed pork chops. I mean, they've got anything you can possibly want right there at their storefront. But, of course, uh, producing that great sausage at Country Pleasing, Located at your local grocer, if you can't find it, go to countrypleasin.com, and they'll ship it to you. And, once again, our guest line segment brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage.
0: First and four and goal to go for Alabama. Jacobs goes up underneath, goes to the fullback. Fumble, fumbles the ball. Bulldogs recover. Bulldogs recover. Bulldogs recover.
1: And that's the voice of the legendary Jack Crystal. What a game, what an ending. Bulldogs recover, Bulldogs recover, and it was recovered by Billy Jackson, but the guy who delivered the hit joins us now at Tyrone Keys. Uh, Mr. Tyrone, it's amazing. It's amazing. This game happened forty years this coming Sunday and for a lot of fans they say it seemed like it was just last week. I know for a player, does it seem like it's been forty years since you guys knocked off Alabama six three?
2: Well, you know, every year around this time I, I get a phone call and it's been going on since uh I guess the uh, the ten year reunion. And then it was the twenty year and then of course the thirty you know, the fortieth and uh but no, I never get tired of talking about it. Matter of fact, I, I utilize that uh, that game and that story, and I've been able to pass it on to to a lot of uh, my young students over the years, turning a setback into a comeback. Because uh, I always take people back to that U.S.M. game when we lost 42 to 14, and we got together and had a team meeting and made a commitment that we were going to win the rest of our games. And i I'd never forget when we had that team-only meeting, the press was out there and I said, uh, we're going to win the rest of our games. And they said, well, what about Alabama? We're going to win the rest of our games. And uh, with that attitude and and for it to hold up and, and be true, it's just, uh, just something that uh, has been a typical story for me to share with people when they feel like they're down and out.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring up that Southern game, and that was a game that had to be tough to get back up from. You talk about the players-only meeting. I'm wondering, how was it dealing with Coach Emory Ballard after that loss and kind of setting yourself up for that run? You know, we remember Coach Ballard with that old Texas draw of his and Potna and all those kind of things. But what was it like as a player on that team sitting down with Coach Ballard after that loss?
2: Well, uh, I'll never forget it because I went over to his office that morning, and uh, you know, I, I personally, I said, Coach, uh, I, as a leader and a senior on this team, I, I, I'm accountable. And uh, and he said, Yeah, you and some of the guys, you, you, know, you and the seniors, y'all need to get together and see what type of team that you want to have. So, uh, but I would tell you one thing: when we got ready to play Alabama, he told us he was going to work. He was going to work with the defense and. And he said, I guarantee you, we got the horses to do it, and uh, I know exactly how we're going to beat them, because I'm the person that invented it, so I know how to stop it. And, uh, man, you know, that gave us chills, and uh, we, we just did everything that we needed to do that week. We created some habit and some plays that they had never seen before, changing up who was going to take the pitch man, who was going to take the quarterback, so that it was a different person each time. But we went over everything until we got it correctly, and then we didn't make any mental mistakes in that game until they started passing the ball because we didn't work on that. But it was um, – I mean, it was just like it was yesterday. I can <laughs> – it's just like it was yesterday, true enough.
1: We're talking with with one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State, Tyrone Keys, and you played with arguably the best defense in the history of the NFL in 1985. But looking back at your college career, you talk about the horses that you had on that defensive side, a a guy like a Johnny Cooks or Glenn Collins, Billy Jackson, Mike McEnany, Rob Festmire. I mean, we've had some really good defenses at State, and a lot of people go but based upon short-term memory. And, yes, we had three first-round draft picks very recently here. But looking back, a lot of people will tell you that 1980 defense at Mississippi State was the best ever here at State what was it like playing with all those guys? You talk about getting guys ready to play. It probably made it a lot easier when you're dealing with a Johnny Cooks and a Glenn Collins and a Billy Jackson and those guys.
2: Oh, no no, no doubt about it. You know, uh, Larry Friday, 6'4", uh, 200-pound <laughs> free safety. Uh, most recently, we were at a the reunion about five years ago and some Mississippi State players – they said, "Man, we don't even have guys on on our team as tall as y'all." <laughs> and that, yeah, you mean y'all played here thirty years ago, and y'all bigger than we are now. And uh, John Bun said, "Yeah, because it only happens every fifty years." <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, man, you know when you think about it, uh, definite. We, we were definite fortunate, and uh, we had a recruiting class where we all was calling each other that uh, on, on recruitment day. I never forget it, uh, me being on the phone with Johnny Cooks and, and Glenn and Marty McDowell. And uh, we were just all excited that we were going to go to Mississippi State and, and and do something special. Bear Bryant had called the, the week before just to double-check to see if I wanted to go to Alabama. But my goal was to, to be on the team to beat Alabama. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it was just a exciting time. And then, you know, once we got John Bond as a quarterback, uh, that was a missing piece that we had not had. And uh, once we got Coach Billard and Coach Craig Rondo, the D-line coach, and who was a no-nonsense coach, and, and Coach uh, Bruce Amries and we Bob Valicente, who eventually ended up coaching in the pros. And we had a good staff and a good group of players.
0: Going back to that ball game, Mississippi State's leading six to three, and all of a sudden Alabama gets the ball back in the final minutes and they go to the air, and I'll never get You know, complete to Ogilvy, complete to Bendross, you know, tackled inside the five. They're throwing the football, and then the decision is made. Don Jacobs runs the option and he runs it at Tyrone Keys and Billy Jackson. You come through and make the hit. After seeing Alabama moving the ball through the air, did it surprise you to see the quarterback coming your direction?
2: It, it, it did, man. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had a pretty good game up until that play. I mean, yeah, I mean, every time they came that way, there was not much happening. And I, I don't know why they felt like something was going to happen that day on that particular play. <laughs> so, so, but there was nothing happening on the other side neither. But I would never forget, uh, I have a clip of this, uh, Glenn Collins sent it to me uh, where he did an interview about 10 years ago and he was saying that the team was in disarray when they got down to the two yard line and uh, I ran down there and I said, hey man, we're not going to give it up. Somebody's going to make a play. Somebody's going to make a play. And uh, I was fortunate enough to They call a crash play where I just crashed down inside and, and that was it. I mean, that was, that, was, that, was, that was one of those plays that we had designed there, and uh, I think I was up on him so quickly before he had a chance to pitch the ball because that's probably what he was going to do.
1: Talking with Tyrone Keys, after the game, you spoke about Bear Bryant a moment ago, but so many of the memories of the players and the coaches, everyone's talked about after the game was over with. How surreal was that moment when he came into the locker room?
2: Well, it, what was so surreal about it, and then that's another life lesson that I share a lot with people. As, as great as the game was and great for us to win it, the everlasting memory from a sportsmanship standpoint was to see and to know that Bear Bryant came across the field and you know the fans had stormed the field correctly, right? They had stormed the field, came down, and probably tore down the goalposts. I'm not sure if they, if they did, but everybody was on the field. But for him to to feel within his heart that he needed to come over, cross the field in front of all those fans uh, uh that was pulling at him and doing this and that and calling him all kind of names, uh, but he felt like, he needed to come in there as as a um, as one of the founders of college football, and I'm not saying he founded college football, but you know at the time he was the lead all-time leading uh, winning, co- winning his coach in the um in the country. But for him to come in there and tell us, uh, congratulate us, and tell us that hey, we played the game and we deserve to win it, we played the game the way the game was meant to be played, and man, that was just a very, very that was very very powerful, and uh, that would be something that. Uh, I never forgot
0: it. You know, I, I think about yeah, I your think about career, and I think about the fact that you played on you tried two tried of the, the best, best defenses best in my memory. Bart mentioned the Mississippi State defense. And then 1985, the Chicago Bears were not only good, but it was kind of like you guys just not only expected to go out and win, but expected to dominate. You know, you have that two shutouts in the playoffs. But the thing that as a 13-year-old at the time that I'll always remember – uh, and I wonder how much you get asked about was the Super Bowl shuffle.
2: Uh, I can mirror the Super Bowl shuffle that took place, and that would have never happened had we not lost to Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. And at the time, it was the most watched game ever, and we lost just like we did to Southern Miss. And we had a team only meeting, except for it was due to do the Super Bowl shuffle. And we, on the way home, I never forget on the flight, uh, Walter and. Singletary, and those guys said, well, we're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on the Super Bowl shuffle, because up until that time, it was brought to our attention that this was an opportunity to to do a video and to talk about winning the Super Bowl, but we just felt like it would be too cocky, uh, but once we lost the game, and once we made the decision to donate all the money to charity, we met that morning at 10.30, uh, it was 11 degrees, I'll never forget it. Seven degrees that morning we met and and we shot that and produced that video that same day and uh once again, we ran the table just like we did it uh in nineteen eighty so in nineteen eighty and eighty five it was a very uh historic years
1: well, before we turn you loose, what you're doing now and and you've been in the Tampa area for a long time now. Will you just talk about uh, what you're doing, getting first-generation kids, into, trying to get them into college, and, and how you're helping? You've been a big part of that Tampa area for a long, long time now. Just discuss about what you're doing down there.
2: Well, it got started uh, uh, right after I – I uh, actually, when I came down here to play for uh, the Bucs, I started subbing in the off-season at this particular school called Lado High School. And uh, so once I uh, finished up with Tampa for two years, I went to San Diego. And once I came back, I just assumed uh, I just started assumed my role as uh, as coaching and 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 subbing and counseling at lado High School. And and then uh, kids from other schools would come by, send me their films, and drop off their films. And I started sending films to Leslie Frazier. Leslie played cornerback for the Bears. Uh, and he's actually from Columbus, Mississippi there. Right. And so he actually became the head coach at Trinity college. And so I began to send him films there and we developed a pipeline. And then, uh, Mike, Mike and Annie had moved down here and started a roofing company. And, uh, you know, Mike walked on Mr. The state there and he and I were roommates on the road there. So we had developed a, a real close bond while I was at Mr. The state. And he offered to, uh, assist guys who were looking to walk on, just like he did. And so uh, Nate Peoples was one of our first projects in 1993, and we're so proud of Nate because Nate walked on at Mississippi State, and uh, I will never forget uh, I mean, it. was It was a struggle for him because he didn't earn a scholarship until his just about his junior or senior year. But those first two years, every Saturday morning, he would call, and uh, I knew exactly who it was. He said, Mr. Keys, I'm watching the bus. I'm watching everybody get on the bus. And they're leaving again without me. <laughs> and I'm like, man, it was so good, wrenching to listen to him calling me every Saturday morning. I said, Nate, what's your vision? He said, I want to be a coach one day. I said, well, then you just you let them know that you want to be a coach. But don't just say it verbally. Stay after practice. Uh, sit on the front row. Take notes and they show them that you got the work ethic that's so different than everybody else. And lo and behold, uh, his senior year uh, after graduation, they offered him a, a grad assistant position. And after that, he he graded there, and he came back and worked for all sports. And he and I was able to help 25 kids and go off to college. And then from that day forward, he got back into the college coaching ranks and uh, 20 years later he was back at Mississippi State as assistant strength coach and now he's at the University of Texas and then you know the rest is kind of history but one of the other kids that he helped recruit was Fred Reed. Fred came up to Mississippi State and became a starter up there.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And
2: now Fred is now coaching in the CFL.
1: Tyrone Keys, Tyrone We Keys. appreciate you joining Anytime. us.
2: Anytime. Go Bulldogs.
1: Tyrone Keys. Here on our guest line segment, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. We'll come back right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Well, they call me sweetness, and I like to dance. Running. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, and another guest line segment. This one brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Startwell. Well, my daughter is almost 16, so now I'm in the market for buying a new car or a used car. So I want somebody that I can trust. And I know the person that I'm going to trust is Chris Keen at Cannon Ford of Starkville. I know they're going to take care of me. It's all about trust. It's all about knowing the people that you deal with and knowing that you got the best deal that you can possibly get. And so if you're in the market for a new or used car or simply just need an oil change or something at the dealership, go by and see... Canon Ford of Starkville, because that's where we shop and do our business here in town. And let's go to the phones. Former Mississippi State pitcher and big leaguer pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, Brandon Woodruff joins us. And uh, Brandon, I tell you what, man, it's always great to talk with you. We're so proud of you, right now, man. It's it's amazing to see that your rise in uh, in Major League Baseball and now an integral part of that Milwaukee Brewers team. Just thinking back, and I, I was looking, and, and, and we talked to Lane Burroughs, and we talked to Butch Thompson a few weeks ago, yep. and we, we, they, your name came up, and we were talking about the recruiting process, and you were drafted in what, the fifth round coming out of high school by the Texas yep. Rangers, and then you decided, hey, I'm going to come to Mississippi State. I've, I've heard you tell the story about meeting Nolan Ryan, and you come to Mississippi State, then, you know, you leave after three years drafted again. But looking back – As a guy, you know, who had that opportunity out of high school, and to be quite honest with you, it was somewhat of a surprise for a lot of people around here that you came to school. But looking back, what did that three years at Mississippi State prepare you for? I mean, do you think? How do you think your trajectory would have changed had you come out back when you were drafted out of high school?
3: Man, this is so. This is a question I've gotten quite a few times, and For me for my whole story has been it's been kinda crazy. Coming out of high school, coming from such a a small school in a small area, and I didn't know anything about pro ball. All I knew is I wanted to play, you know, Major League Baseball one day. That's you know, that's every kid's dream. And that's kinda where it all started, but I didn't know the ins and outs of Pro Ball. So when I got drafted in the fifth round out of high school and I was pretty strong on you know coming to school and I was telling scouts and they had their farm director out and they you know Texas was sent out there they big guys got a sign ball from Nolan Ryan uh, personalized me and they're you know just all kind of cool stuff and I, I could tell they really wanted me but I didn't I never wavered away from the fact that I, I wanted to go to school and I, it turned out to be the best decision I ever made and, and looking back on it you know I can I can say that now, but you know, my college career was—I didn't have a good college career. My best year was my freshman year, and you know, the other two years, the next year, I, I think I threw maybe ten or fifteen innings, and I had surgery. It was hurt, and then I just couldn't—you um, know—get it going my junior year. And I just knew that in my heart, I needed to get out and get into pro ball. And I think uh, looking back now, my time at Mississippi State was the best thing that probably ever happened to me. And it taught me um, one, you know, first time living away from home. Taught you how to grow up a little bit, and I faced uh, just about every, you know, piece of adversity you can deal with. With you know, coming into that junior year, trying to draft pressure, trying to perform, just everything happening to me, and nothing seemed to go right, and just you know, just not pitching well. And I think looking back on it now, like it's it, it wasn't fun during the moment but I knew that deep down what kind of pitcher I was and what I could be and what I aspired to be and I knew getting out and getting into pro ball was you know right for me at that moment and then I just kind of made a commitment to myself to to go out and just pitch and work hard and and looking back now it's been a crazy journey but but yeah I would say my time at Mississippi State was a huge learning experience Uh, I didn't know much about pitching I kind of just knew how to throw hard, and that was about it. And I credit Butch and Greg Dry uh, teaching me and, and helping me learn and and, and kind of getting me, you know, where I'm at today.
1: I remember after that first year of minor league ball, you may not remember this, Jen and I met you and Joni at City Bagel. And yeah. and I said uh, I said hey how's it going? It was a first year minor league ball, and he said they gave me a hat, they gave me a t-shirt, and they gave me a pair of shorts, and they said all right go pitch, and he said I didn't realize how right. good- I didn't realize how good we had it.
3: <laughs> Man, I showed up, and I remember the first day. It was we're in Helena, Montana, and I'm starting this you know new journey in baseball, and show up and and get to this little little hotel, and I remember you know having my roommate and. That next morning, they were like, "You got to be up at six a.m. for breakfast, and had to report, and then we we go to practice." We, I think we had practice there for a few days before the season started, and we hopped on a yellow school bus. And I think maybe there was three or four guys that spoke English, and the rest that was you know all Latin players. And I had no idea what was going on. And I just vividly remember that and then and showing up to the field and it was pretty much a high school field. And I was like, what, what did I sign up for? And um, I remember like it was yesterday, I gave you, I thought, okay, pro ball, man, we're about to get all this cool, the coolest gear that, you know, Nike and all this cool stuff. And it was a cotton t-shirt, um, a hat and a pair of plain shorts. And I'm looking at the big leagues and seeing all this cool stuff they're getting, and, you know, and it's, and i yeah you know, I was in a root you know I did rude awakening because I didn't have a clue about it, and you you quickly realize that man you're going to, you're gonna to have to uh perform and treat this like a job because it is your job and you got to take it serious if you 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 know want to move up the ladder,
0: Brandon, you know a lot of times we talk about guys having to make the decision about whether to go pro or whether to come to college. I've always thought that one of the most significant decisions, particularly guys coming from smaller high schools, have to make, is whether I'm going to be a hitter, or whether I'm going to be a pitcher, or whether I'm going to get stuck in the middle. We talked yeah. to Jonathan Holder about that. You know, he kind of had to go home and have some tough conversations with himself and realize, all right, I'm going to be a pitcher. What was that <laughs> process like for you? I mean, you can hit a little bit. Um, there's yeah, a lot of guys in the say, big leagues who'd love your average right now. So, oh, how man. was that in your head?
3: So that that was the first thing I did my whole life was, was hit. I played outfield and played third, you know, all over the diamond. And I just remember going through the recruiting process. And I first got recruited as a hitter. I think um, Coach Burroughs had, had seen me down at state games in Meridian. And that's kind of where it started. I had a good tournament there. And um, and then they kind of just followed him and Butch. kind of just followed me to the Sunbelt tournament. And I just remember going, I'd always, you know, I, I started throwing hard my junior year but I you know, I always hit and um went out to the sunbelt tournament and I threw two innings and we had two games that day. I played right field in the first game and then the second game they asked me if I could pitch in relief if you know if they needed an arm. And I you know, pitched in high school and I had good numbers, you know, one A ball, whatever. And um I just remember that night it was two innings and I was, you know, like ninety to ninety five. After that it was on the phone with with uh John Cohen and it was we're gonna get you in as soon as you get back, get an offer and I think, you know, just showing that side that I could pitch and hit was, you know, just exciting at at the time and I just remember showing up to campus and 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 trying to do both and I remember my first scrimmage uh, uh my freshman year was playing and Stratton, Chris Stratton was was starting that first game, I remember stepping in the box and you know, and he was throwing 94, 95 and he, you know, in and out. And I remember some of those balls getting pretty close to me. I'm like, Oh my God, like I've never seen anything like this. And, you know, a, a true, just a big league breaking ball. And it's like, What the heck? You know, this, they don't have this in one A ball in Wheeler. So, <laughs> um, I quickly realized how hard it was to hit, but I was, I was never uncomfortable in the batter's box. I think that's what people, I guess, you know, now, our job in, in, in the National League is to get the bunt down. But if we can handle the bat, that may give us an extra inning. So I think there's not much expectations when you step in the box. It's it's get the bunt down. But if you strike out, you're supposed to strike out. So I think taking that in there, just, okay, if I get out, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think it just helps you relax. And you just get up there and just try to fight the pitchers off. And sometimes you get a good pitch to hit. And you just um, get lucky sometimes. But, you know, by no means – Hitting is so difficult, and you see it because you have, I've gotten to face some some pretty good guys in the big leagues, and it's I mean it's it's no joke. And, it, and I'd much rather be the guy on the hill pitching than than hitting. That's for sure. But I did have that conversation my sophomore year, and I told John that I was like, look, I'm gonna I think I'm just gonna stick with pitching. I think hitting hitting's not gonna be for me. So that's when I. Uh, made the decision to go to pitching and then I didn't pick up a bat again until uh double A when national league teams and double A started hitting.
1: Talking with Brandon Woodruff, All-Star with the Milwaukee Brewers and you brought up a good point right there. The universal designated hitter in baseball this past year with a <laughs> condensed season, so it really took the bat out of your hand. You know, mm-hmm. I know you probably have a different thought when you're hitting than when you're pitching. But would you like to see that stay, or would you like to see you know having the opportunity of, of you know putting the bat back in your
0: hand?
3: Uh, in my opinion i I, I want to see it go back to where the pitchers are hitting again. I mean that's that's the way the game's been played forever. I mean that's it's that's the the uh, the game planning the the strategy in the national league of you know double switches and everything that goes into it. It makes it fun. It makes it you know you have to sit there and pay attention to the game and and, and it's I mean you take a little pride in it if you know it's your day to pitch and you, you get the hit well you know if you do your job move some runners over get a bunt down maybe get a hit or hit something hard that you know that instead of getting to that sixth inning and they're like okay we're going to go ahead and pitch it for you it it might save you an extra inning so it's just the the cat and mouse game in the National League with with that part of it and I think that's that's what makes it fun and and it was different i mean it was yeah you didn't have to come in and and worry about hitting but i mean you had to focus on that extra hitter that dh and it's just it's just a little different but i would like to see it come back personally because i i I enjoy getting in in the box and 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 hitting we talked
0: about a week ago with hunter renfro and he was talking about the you know playing your old teammates and of course you guys are lucky you've got a lot of uh, former teammates that you get to see on the road yeah. but he mentioned that he bought you dinner and then the next night the three fastest pitches you throw all night are against him uh i don't know that he appreciate <laughs> that very much what's it like no. you know when you get a chance to face an adam frazier or a hunter yeah.
3: well you know the thing about that is i get to face adam a ton because they're in our division so it's just it, it i mean when it's off the field it's like we were in college we're you know we're good friends. We we have a good time. We joke around, but once you get in between the lines, all that kind of goes away. And I mean, we're we're both trying to do our jobs. And um, at first, I think it's a little weird just playing your own teammates. But then it's it's you quickly forget about it, and you try to go out there and just do your job. And and you know they they're trying to get hits off me, and I'm trying to get them out. So, um, but then after the game, it's just. We're all normal people. So I think there's a, two different mentalities with that. But, no, it's just fun getting to see um, a lot of guys you play with in college. And, uh, you know, we had some really good teams. Fortunate to be on some good teams while I was at the state and had a lot of guys make it to the major leagues. And, and just getting to see them is, is pretty cool and, and, and uh, getting to represent Mississippi State so well.
1: Before we let you go, we're talking to Brandon Woodruff with the Milwaukee Brewers. I think one of the reasons we always hit it off when you were here, I grew up in Nanawaya, you grew up in Wheeler. We understand what it's like yeah. to grow up and, and have small classes. And the thing that we also really didn't understand that's changed a lot now is mm-hmm. when you start talking about youth baseball. A lot of young kids. Mm-hmm. My kid, you know, Sims is nine now. It's amazing. I mean, I remember yeah. you holding him when he was like one or two. But yeah. now but now all of a sudden, you know, youth sports has taken such a big key. And the things that you learn, I mean, we were raw coming out of high school, coming out of small schools. But mm-hmm. looking now and looking back at, at what you've learned and looking back at the nine-year-old Brandon Woodruff, if, if you're a coach of a 10-year-old team, and we had Josh Lovelady as our coach last year and josh was absolutely awesome with the kids yeah what would you tell a kid who's 10 11 years old and the coach the daddy what would you tell them these are the things you really need to be working on
3: man it, honestly the number one thing at that age is is one just having fun like that is literally the most important thing i don't think you ever want to get to the point at that age where it, you feel like it's I wouldn't would say a job, but it, it's stressful to go play the game. and you, It's supposed to be fun, and even for me, like I have to keep the perspective, even though I, I'm treating it, 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 I mean, it is my job. I have to keep the perspective that this game is fun and we're getting to play a kid's game for a living. And, you know, uh, what I would tell a nine-year-old kid is just to have fun and you can kind of see if they have the, the passion for it and just work on the fundamentals and just have fun with it. Make, make practice fun, make everything you do fun and enjoy, enjoy those times with your buddies. I, I just remember, and it, it's bringing back, you know, it brings back memories now when I played travel ball when I was growing up, and just how I could not wait to get, you know, to the weekend or, or whatever and just to see all my friends and, and, and play and have fun. And it didn't matter if you struck out or if you, um, you know, gave up a home run or get it, give up hits. You were out there with your buddies and having fun. So I think that's the most important thing is, is go out there and have fun and, and, and just go out and play. And I think, um, if you can keep that mentality, keep that perspective and work hard at the game, I think, uh, everybody would be just fine. So, um, but, you know, looking at it now, it's crazy getting to play at the highest level and then looking back when you're a kid and all you want to do is, you couldn't wait for that that blue powerade after the game, or or whoever, who uh, whatever parent had the snacks. Man, that was that was the best. So th- those are the little things and the, the the fun memories I remember just getting to play with buddies and have fun.
1: You want that ten year old to enjoy the game when he's fifteen. That's that's, that's the whole thing.
3: Exactly right. Mate, exactly right.
1: Brandon, we appreciate you. Good to talk to you.
3: All right, y'all take care. And that's
1: Brandon Woodruff in that conversation brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle or just need some service, need an oil change, need a a dent fixed in your car at the body shop, go by and see Chris Keene and the gang at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Charlie and I will be back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment out of left field presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. All right, Alabama week. Crimson Tide, Mississippi State. It's the shortest distance between two schools in the SEC. We played a lot of games against Alabama. Charlie, looking back over the series history, and of course it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Alabama holds a big lead in this series. We talked about Sylvester Kroon back in the first segment Sylvester Croom's the last coach to beat Alabama, and he did it back-to-back years.
0: That seems strange, doesn't it? Crazy. I guess beat Nick Saban in his first year. That win at Tuscaloosa back in 2006 was pretty cool. You know, you had that, that stop right before halftime. Jamar Chaney. Jamar Chaney, who's around now, had that big tack. I don't know how he kept him out of the end zone. Was that John Parker Wilson? I think that it was. That was the old – wasn't that Mike Shula's last year? Oh, yeah. It <laughs> yeah, was well, so –
1: he was groomed. that was the that was his pretty much that was pretty much his last game i mean that was the game that he knew and everybody else knew and looking back at that game i mean it was just kind of surreal and surprising i remember going back in 2005 i believe wasn't that the year that that was coach Croom's first time back to alabama they had this big spread in the, in the tuscaloosa news welcome welcome home because he's from tuscaloosa but you know that's the thing when you look at the past you know, 10 years, there's been a lot of non-competitive games. I mean, we had a We Believe game when
0: <laughs> we had really. You know, I am strongly opposed. to I like to keep politics out of this part, but I'm opposed to the death penalty except for people who occupy the left lane on 82 and who promote We Believe. So, if you're going to promote We Believe, just know that I think you, at a minimum, ought to get 25 to life.
1: Let's uh – Let's debate politics right now. Election <laughs> coming up next Tuesday. So who you, who pass. you pass? Who you vote <laughs> pass? <laughs> so looking at the Alabama series, we believe. Just I was told. I was talking to Rocky Felker the other day, and I was like, you know, if you start thinking about different stories that you've seen, of course, the six three game in nineteen eighty, and of course Jackie Sherrill had that great run in there in the late nineteen nineties, and then into two thousand. And he was like, you know, one of the one of the craziest stories to me about the Alabama series occurred in 1978. And he says, I was an offensive assistant coach. And he said, Bruce Arians, who is now the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians was a young guy. He was a wide receiver coach on that staff. And he said, we were playing Alabama in Birmingham. And Dave Marler, who came to Mississippi State pretty much as a kicker, Dave Marler from Forest, he went to Mississippi College for a couple of years, then he came here, and he said Dave Marler pulled his right thigh kicking in pregame warm-ups, and we went to the locker room and Bruce Arians and a couple of the offensive guys got over there and said, you know what, we're going to run the shotgun. Had never run it before. They were worried about who was going to snap it, okay? They were literally and truly changed the entire offense between warmups and the game. And Marrer went out and threw for 429 yards. Yeah, we lost the game, but we threw the ball all over the field. And he says, you know, that was really the day. As a wide receiver and a wishbone offense, Marty McDowell really never got that many chances, but that was the day that Marty McDowell, everybody was like, hey, that guy could play. Let's send
0: him to the NFL, <laughs> right? You know, the game that I think of, Obviously, the 6-3 game, if you asked anybody to rate the most important wins over Alabama, but I'm going to give you another one. That's 1996. Yes. We beat them 17-16. And, look, Jackie was – Jackie had his detractors, shall we say, by that point in 1996. Alabama comes in with Gene Stallings with their, like, number six in the country. I think it was Robert Isaac. That had the touchdown run? Let me
1: tell you this. I couldn't tell you a whole lot about the game because when you talk about 17-16 to 16 in 1996, I remember tearing down the goal post, and it was Gene Stallings, and Alabama was top 10. But, man, the only thing I can remember is that guy coming in with a you know, on the parachute right there behind the goal oh, post yeah. breaking both his legs. The win was crazy. I can't believe those guys. I still can't believe those guys jumped out of that airplane to bring in the game ball. And, man, they ended up all over campus. The guy ends up with two broken legs. And that was that was to get the night started.
0: <laughs> not an auspicious beginning. <laughs> uh, but I think that was a big win. And how about crazy is this? Mississippi State won four of the next five over Alabama.
1: You re- remember 2000, we had the white towels. Everybody had the white towels begging Jackie not to leave. Was that Mike DeBose? That was Mike DeBose, was it not? And everybody knew he was getting fired or had just gotten fired mid- midway through the season, and the reports were out, hey, let's all bring white towels and wave them and make sure Jackie doesn't leave to go to, to Alabama. That's kind of like the one-man cowbell rally.
0: See, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the thing about 2000, though, that, that I remember was everybody didn't want Jackie to leave. Everybody was excited about that win. We had the big celebration. They were showing the locker room on the Jumbotron – And, really, things just kind of fell apart pretty quickly after that. It was like we had a lot of excitement. I guess you had the the snowball later that year. But then that was – things kind of turned on you a little bit. Yeah, the next week. The next week,
1: Westerfield tried to kick a field goal, the ball laid flat on the ground. That's when it all went haywire. The next week. I always said that white towel game, that was the the force of battle. That was the turning point. That was the the turning point. Hey, Charlie, uh, good show. I know it was quick, it seemed like for us, because we did a lot of just asking some questions. Tyrone Keys was
0: awesome. Oh, man, it was so cool to talk to him. That That's a name that, as a kid, I will n- never be able to forget that one.
1: And I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of Brandon Woodruff. That guy's grown up, man. I'm telling you, he's just a you know country-strong, good
0: dude. Just a good guy. Well, and how much does he show about – an inability to have success in one point in your life doesn't define you forever because that's a guy who could really have hung his head about a lot of his college career. He struggled with injuries, didn't have the success he wanted, but he kept plugging away. And he's, uh, what, arbitration one this year, so he's going to be up for some really big contracts for long. He's a bona fide top-of-the-rotation pitcher in the Major League Baseball.
1: I mean, he was an all-star a couple of years ago, so – Anyway, good to talk with those guys. Once again, thanks to our fine sponsors. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Cannon Ford of Starkville, those guys are great. You talk about just good people, people that you can trust. It all starts at the top with Chris Keen over at Cannon Ford of Startwell. And then Country Pleasing Sausage. I think I'm going to go see Henry in the next couple of weeks. you want me to get you some sausage?
0: Well, you supposedly brought me some weeks ago.
1: Well, that was eaten already. All right. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Appreciate you guys listening. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented
3: by Farm Bureau.